All right, there's the foghorn. That must mean it's time for the weekly Cavish Ships podcast. Our effort to cut through the murk and mist and shine some light on what's going on this work this this week in the naval and maritime world. I'm Chris Cavis. And I'm Chris Cervello. All right. So topping the naval news this week was the strange confrontation between a British destroyer and a Russian and Russian air and border patrol forces near Crimea in the Black Sea. One side claims shots were fired and even bombs were dropped. The other side says no such thing happened. We'll discuss. And different nations have different approaches for portraying their militaries and navies. We'll talk about some of the key differences between U.S., Chinese, and Russian public relations efforts. But first, in naval news this week... The British aircraft carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth launched her first ever combat strikes June 18th against ISIS targets while operating in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. The strike supported Operation Inherent Resolve, hitting ISIS targets in Syria and Iraq. The air operations featured a number of notable firsts, in addition to Queen Liz's combat baptism. It was the first time a British fifth-generation aircraft, in this case the F-35B Joint Strike Fighters from the 617 Squadron, had seen combat. The 617 Squadron Dambusters are joined aboard Queen Elizabeth by the U.S. Marines Fighter Attack Squadron 211, who also took part in the strikes. It was the first time U.S. aircraft had flown combat missions from a British carrier since operating from HMS Victorious in the South Pacific in 1943. And the Black Sea exercise Sea Breeze kicks off June 28th and will run for two weeks. The exercises co-hosted by the U.S. and Ukraine will include participants from more than 30 nations, the largest number of countries ever to take part in these exercises that began in 1997. 32 ships, 40 aircraft, 5,000 personnel will be involved, all presumably closely watched by Russian forces. On June 25th, the U.S. destroyer Laboon passed out of the Black Sea after operating there for two weeks, but sister ship Ross is expected to enter the Inland Sea June 26th to take part in the exercises. In the Indian Ocean, the 27th Annual Carrot Cooperation of Float Readiness and Training Exercises began June 24th with Carrot Sri Lanka out of Trincomalee. USS littoral combat ship Charleston and a P-8A Poseidon aircraft are taking part, along with the Japanese destroyer Yaguri. Also in the Indian Ocean, carrier USS Ronald Reagan carried out exercises on June 23rd with the Indian Air Force and Navy aircraft and Indian Navy warships. A U.S. Navy statement called the exercises multi-axis integration training and said the engagements built on high caliber integration achieved in March when the Theodore Roosevelt Carrier Strike Group also operated with Indian forces. It's notable that although political relations between Indian Prime Minister Modi and the Biden administration are somewhat strained, the two countries, at least at sea, seem to be increasing the level of military cooperation. Back in the Mediterranean, the Russian Navy is carrying out a series of exercises and maneuvers in the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. Among the aircraft taking part are MiG-31K fighters able to use Kinzai hypersonic missiles that were just shipped to the Russian air base in Hamamim in Syria. The Russian ministry said the aircraft have started accomplishing the tasks of mastering the airspace in the maritime zone. Two Russian submarines, a cruiser, and two frigates of the Black Sea Fleet are also taking part. In the Pacific, news reports revealed that the Russian Pacific Fleet's large-scale maneuvers in mid-June 
came within 35 miles of Oahu in the Hawaiian Islands. Three U.S. destroyers and a Coast Guard cutter are reportedly detailed to shadow and track the Russians. On June 23rd, the U.S. destroyer Curtis Wilbur carried out another transit of the Taiwan Straits between Taiwan and the Chinese mainland. Over the past three years, the U.S. has been carrying out such transit roughly once a month. For the Japanese-based Curtis Wilbur, it's actually the fourth time since New Year's Eve she's made the transit. The moves are always closely monitored by the Chinese, who routinely condemn the moves. But the latest criticisms seem to be ratcheting up a notch or two. A Chinese defense ministry spokesman said, the U.S. is again playing the old trick and stirring up trouble in the Taiwan Straits. And June 25th marked the 71st anniversary of the start of the Korean War in 1950. Although an armistice was reached in July 1953, a peace treaty has never been concluded between North and South Korea. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby on June 24th called the alliance between the U.S. and South Korea the linchpin of peace, security, and prosperity from Northeast Asia and a free and open Indo-Pacific, as well as across the world. And that's a quick roundup of recent and ongoing naval events. So as we said at the top, on uh, June 23rd, there was an encounter between the British destroyer HMS Defender and Russian military aircraft and at least one border guard ship near Crimea in the Black Sea. The Russian Defense Ministry released videos of the Defender seen from military aircraft, and a BBC news crew aboard the Defender also put out a news package with video of the Russians zooming by the destroyer, as well as the crew coming to action stations complete with donning anti-flash protection gear. The Russian TASS news agency said Defender crossed three kilometers into Russian territorial waters and that the border guard ship fired warning shots to ward off the Defender. And TASS also claimed an Su-24M attack plane conducted what they called preventing bombing, dropping four bombs in front of the Defender. The British government said no such thing happened. They said the destroyer was carrying out an innocent passage on the most direct route between Ukraine and Georgia, and that no warning shots were fired at the ship. The UK acknowledged the Russians were conducting live fire training in the vicinity. So it's, it's also interesting, Chris, that, uh, you know, even both sides here released video, fair, fair amount of video, including a BBC news crew with independent video. And yet, what are we looking at? It's, it's pretty darn hard to tell what's happened. What do you think? So the first thing I would say is that we're looking at competition. I mean, we've been talking about competition. We've been, you know, talking about, you know, this new phase of relations with the Chinese and with the Russians. Um, and I think that this, uh, you know, in, in this particular case with Defender is what competition has and will continue to look and feel like. As to what exactly happened, I, I think it's, it's going to be hard to tell if uh, the United States is uh, run-ins with the Russians or any indication. There are some elements of truth to what the Russians put out. Uh, they're very good at quickly releasing video. They're very good at getting a rough sketch of things that uh, occurred in and around the incident. They, but they tend to embellish specific details that either make their adversary um, you know, look and feel menacing 
or make their forces um, seem more professional than maybe they actually were. So if I had a guess, I would say that, um, you know, Defender was, was close to this live fire exercise. Um, it spooked the Russians, um, the, you know, the, the Russians uh, responded. Um, I, I just don't see the United Kingdom and the Royal Navy um, not telling the truth with regards to, uh, you know, weapons being released. Um, they, they are, you know, by the book and, and by the facts. Um, so my, my guess is, is that that may be where the Russians, uh, you know, used uh, some falsehoods to uh, make themselves look and feel a little bit better. Well, you know, just a few days before, uh, they apparently spoofed the Defender, and the Defender had been operating with the Russian frigate, the Russian, the Dutch frigate uh, Evertson, and both of them were doing a port call in Odessa in the Ukraine. And all of a sudden, AIS indicators, um, automated identification system, uh, all around the world began showing those two warships not in Odessa, but actually in the Sea of Azov, which is sort of a lake kind of waterway inside what now Russia claims is all Crimean territory and their territory. Um, they were not there, but on AIS systems everywhere, it showed them there. Apparently the Russians spoofed it. So they're, they're playing this some sort of disinformation campaign to some end here. And it's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of a new level of just gamesmanship that they're, maybe they're just trying to uh, mess with people here. You know, it should be said that everybody um, shadows everybody routinely now, all sides. So, you know, the Russians, the, the Russian geography is such that they have four different fleets. They're widely separated. Um, they have a, their biggest fleet is the Northern Fleet um, up above the Arctic Circle. But when they come down to the Mediterranean or anywhere else, they pass through the North Sea. They pass through the English Channel. Um, the British and NATO nations routinely uh, go out and shadow them with aircraft and ships, scramble, as the media often likes to say, scramble sort of gives you the impression that everybody is just, you know, quickly, you know, trying to, 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 to meet an attack. But um, that's really not the case. But so everybody's watching everybody. The Russians, for their part, uh, routinely shadow and tail every NATO, U.S., British ship, coming into the Black Sea. I mean, often you go through the Bosphorus, I'm told, you go through the Bosphorus, you enter the Black Sea, and uh, there's often a Russian ship right there with you. Sometimes they're, they're even pretty friendly. They'll, they'll, they'll come on the bullhorn and say, welcome to the Black Sea, USS, you know, we'll be, we'll be your escort here during your time. And, uh, and they stay with them. So, and then sometimes they do these provocative maneuvers um, maneuvering very closely with ships, crossing people's bows, um, speeding up, slowing down, maneuvering all around. Aircraft come in, zoom by at very low level. Um, and, it, you know, these are, there's a, there's a political aim to this. And, and everybody's trying to make everybody aware that we're, you know, we see you, we're watching you. Um, even though the vast majority of these maneuvers uh, are, are illegal. There's, nobody's violating anybody's territory here. Um, but there's a danger when you get, you know, young people, relatively young people with very high performance aircraft and ships who are tasked with, provide, with uh, carrying out rather, you know, um, you know provoking these, these uh, um, incidents uh, 
where things can get out of hand. People can get carried away. And there have been a number of incidents over the years where, of course, one of those, there was the famous thing some years ago where the Chinese aircraft collided with the EP-3, the American spy plane, um, in international airspace. And there were the, uh, the, the Chinese aircraft crashed, the pilot was killed. The U.S. aircraft was forced to make a, an emergency landing. Um, and that turned into a major incident. There have been other incidents at sea uh, with the Russians and the Chinese and everybody else for years. And people are always concerned about these things simply getting out of hand. You had, I think you had some experience um, with the, the uh, creation of the uh, Code for Unplanned Events at Sea some years ago, Q's, which was uh, an effort, I think, proposed by the U.S. that uh, we finally, uh, the, the, the Chinese signed, and a number of other nations have signed, regarding these incidents to try to set up um, constructs in place so that Number one, things don't get totally out of hand, and B, if they do get out of hand, um, for lack of a better word, the adults back home have have some kind of structure to get on the horn with each other and say, okay, let's all calm down before we start doing things we don't want to. Can you talk to us about the cues system and how that came about? Yeah, that came, um, that was really the brainchild, um, or was really the execution of uh, Admiral Jonathan Greenard right. um, and, and his uh, Chinese uh counterpart, and I believe it was Wu Sheng Li was the name of the Chinese uh, head of the Navy at the time. Um, Li uh, and Greenard had built uh, a rapport, and it was exactly for what you described. It was as um, things become more competitive, as, um, you know, traditional tales turn into uh, jockeying and, you know, competing for sea space that, um, you know, an incident between, you know, 205 commands or 206 commands wouldn't turn into a, a full-on shooting conflict. Um, and so it was meant to elevate these quickly um, up beyond the, the units uh, to the adults, as you say, so that um, incidents could be quickly resolved and, and cooler heads would prevail. Um, for two to three years, there was a lot of uh, a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of hope that this cues approach would be um, the way that things would be kind of kept um, in control and, and that there would be an order to things specifically in the, in the South China Sea and areas around it. I, I'm not as hopeful after uh, the last four years. You, you know, it was something that when I worked for um, Admiral Richardson, uh, you, you know, uh, Greenard's successor, you know, he tried to continue to push it, but um, I, I just don't know that it has the same commitment from the Chinese and United States leaders that it that it did at the time that Greenard and Wu Li signed it. So I'm not as hopeful that that this will prevent incidents and will will not uh, will prevent incidents from you know turning into a, a bigger deal. Right. I actually checked with the Pentagon this week just to see if it was, if Q's was still in place, because you haven't heard anybody talk about it for, for quite some time. And I'm told that, yes, it still is in place, but it's not a binding agreement. Uh, but the U.S. You know, still adheres to the, the code of conduct that, that is established in the, in the agreement, and they expect and encourage other nations to adhere to it as well. There was also, around that time, the, the uh, Admiral Greenert and, uh, set up a 
regular schedule of video teleconferences with his Chinese counterpart. And Admiral Richardson, CNO after Greenert, kept up that rhythm with not, not on any set schedule, but every now and then they would sit down for, for a few hours or an hour or so and, and just have a meeting of the minds and at least talk to each other, which I think probably never hurts. And uh, that has seemed to have fallen off the wayside now as well. Uh, CNO Gilday, I don't believe, has ever had a, had a teleconference with his Chinese counterpart uh, last year, they were trying to set one up, but it, for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. Uh, and now it's just kind of all on hold. So it seems as the same sort of uh, rapport with the Russians is also not happening. So people just simply aren't talking to each other. And uh, that always worries me. It's like, I think, you know, I mean, people need to, leaders need to look each other in the eye every now and then and, you know, take each other's measure. I just think it's more dangerous. I agree. Um, you, you know, there were work plans with the Russians um, in the you, you know early 2000s and even uh, in the 2000 early teens um, that would, whether they were with heads of navy or whether they were with you know regional uh, navy commanders, um, those types of meetings in addition to uh, seeing each other at conferences. Um, I, you know, I think, as you said, was always a good thing. I think it, it kept the temperature about right. If, um, if need be, they could talk about things. Uh, when, you know, when Admiral Richardson uh, took over from Admiral Greenard, as you said, he continued those conversations and, and I, they were fruitful. I mean, they, they had a choreography of their own. Uh, there was always, you know, pleasantries sort of poking at each other over things that the two sides didn't like, followed by pleasantries, followed by Hey, I can't wait to see you. Or looking forward to this ship visit, and and at least ending on a, a on a happy note. Um, my sense is is that if it were up to just the Navy and it wasn't part of a larger national security uh, plan, um, that that those types of meetings would continue to exist. Um, but you know, as you've alluded to, and I think some of the spokespeople in the Pentagon have alluded. Um, you know, there are bigger work plans and bigger issues at, at play. So right now it doesn't make sense for the two uh, leaders uh, to talk. Hopefully we get back to that um, where, where they can talk and, and that in the spirit of cues and in the spirit of these conversations, it'll bleed off uh, some of uh, the competitive tension. I think you're right. You know, I mean, navies, navies by their nature tend to be more internationally oriented. They all, everybody shares the same environment the oceans, the sea, uh, immense commonality there. Uh, the brother, the, you know, the, I mean, they're all mariners. And, uh, and they do see each other. Even if they don't talk to each other on video teleconferences, they see each other at sea. There are all kinds of, uh, you know, I mean, customs and traditions about passing each other at sea and, uh, you know, rendering honors. And um, you know, I've, I've been on ships and, you know, they're, they're the Iranians and everybody kind of behaves. Um, and it's, it's a different dichotomy that you have certainly with ground forces. They don't do that. Um, and aircraft is a, it's very different. It's just completely different. But, um, anyway, it's just, uh, I think, I think navies are just more sensitive to international relations. So, uh, you know, an outgrowth of all these encounters is how they're portrayed and, you know, we talked earlier about the Taiwan Strait Transits. Um, 
the the U.S. Navy was doing doing these freedom of navigation operations and rights of innocent passage um, movements and saying very little about them, even when they started doing them. Uh, they, there was a you know, different different schools of thought inside the Navy and the Pentagon and, and whichever uh, administration we're talking about, about how to play that. The problem with not saying anything was you now let the other side set the narrative. So the Chinese especially um, would cast these movements any way they feel like, which is always in a negative aspect to the, to the Americans for one thing. Um, but they also, and, and, and I'm sorry, and, and the two sides, there's, there are differences between the Russians and the Chinese. Um, we have no problem talking about, look, look at our encounters with the Russians. We put out lots, we, the Americans, um, put out lots of videos of aircraft and ships uh, watching Russians or them watching us. The Russians put out lots of videos of not only them watching us, but us watching them. So they'll they'll do these you know to you uh, you know bear transits, and they'll release videos of all of them, these native uh, NATO fighters buzzing all around them. Um, you see no such thing in the Pacific. The the uh, Chinese data is completely different. We don't show anything. Um, they they don't show a whole lot of pictures, uh, but they do put out stories. They do complain about it, and it's interesting. I mean, get, I mean you you've been involved in some of these issues where uh, you know there are different sides about should we talk about what we're doing i i kind of wonder why the united states bothers to make a demonstration by sailing somebody you know around the, the south china sea around some of these disputed you know island artificial island areas or the taiwan strait for that matter and then we're silent about it and we let the other side take the narrative and other people don't believe we should we should do the, the ways it's been phrased to me is we're not going to do the Chinese work for them. What, what, um, how do you where do you come down on that? Yeah, I mean, we we struggled with this when this first started happening with great regularity uh, towards the end of the Obama administration um, and the beginning of the Trump administration. The concern was, is that at least with China, if you made a big deal, this was the concern voiced out of the Pacific. If you may uh, made a big deal of the. Um, the uh, a straits transit um, and it, it it was seen as a PR stunt rather than a uh, free exercise of international law, right? I mean, there was concern that we would be we were poking the Chinese instead of um, simply you know exercising our international right to uh, you know to go through uh, that particular strait. Um, and for a while, um, the the guidance was say nothing. Uh, and, uh, and in fact, there was even a time when you couldn't even acknowledge the fact that it went through uh, until the Chinese did. So I, I think that they've, they now have it about right. Um, I, I think that, you know, between the Navy and between PACOM and between, uh, you know, the, the elements of the NSC and, and DOD, they, they have it about right. They admit to it. They, you know, but, but they're, they don't sort of beat the drum or, or sound the trumpet. These types of things, um, whether it's the United States, you know, conducting a freedom of navigation exercise, whether it's the Russians uh, and their bad behavior, either at sea or in the air, or whether it's the Chinese, um, you, you know, shadowing you everywhere you go. I mean, they they are they are done 
not just for tactical reasons. I mean, there are large big picture strategic reasons that they do the things that they do and they are meant to influence audiences. You and I were talking during the week in preparation for the podcast and in terms of, you know, the, the Chinese are absolutely interested in speaking to a domestic audience, uh, showing um, a foreign aggression, and but also showing a flexing of Chinese muscle against that foreign aggression uh, to their domestic audience. They're also um, interested in communicating to a regional audience that, that they are the big dog in, the, in that pond, if you will, and that they're not afraid to stand up to the United States or not afraid to challenge the United States. So there's that messaging and counter-messaging. Um, we, we talked about that the Russians likely are not as domestically focused as the Chinese, but they certainly are regionally focused and they want to send messages to countries in the region um, about the type of behavior and about the type of expectation that the, the Russian military has um, so that it will influence uh, either, uh, you know, their partner uh, militaries or um, NATO and, and other alliance militaries that, that are operating in and around Russia. Where it's odd and very difficult is, is with the United States, um, because there just doesn't appear to be uh, a wide audience for, at least not a domestic audience for what the United States does. So a, a large part of the messaging that, that we do is to um, foreign audiences and letting them know that we either have their back or will have their back or um, will respond to international laws and, and norms, um, you know, against uh, uh, aggression. Whereas, uh, you know, the, that is well received abroad at home, it just sort of kind of comes and goes. I mean, unless it's a, a major incident or somebody does something wrong or there's some odd news angle, um, there doesn't really seem to be a domestic interest in, in, you know, how these things are occurring. That worries me. I think I speak for you. It worries you because what I think what, what will happen is, is this stuff will continue to happen and happen. And then it will take a big interest before or a big uh, incident before it gets the domestic audience's attention and they will have missed the run up. This is an issue that we're going to have to continue to pay attention to and, and see how these countries um, compete not only against each other, but compete for audience bandwidth uh, within the larger competition. Right. I, you know, you, you can you can go on YouTube um, anytime and find dozens, if not hundreds, of videos, really slick stuff put out by the Russians and the Chinese, a whole lot better than what we're putting out. And I mean, nobody, nobody, both of them are incredibly adept at very creative uses of GoPros. I mean, it's just not unusual, especially the Russians, to have very well edited. I mean, I used to, I was a director with NBC for 14 years. I mean, really professionally well done, snappy, snazzy uh, videos that they throw together really fast using 35 cameras. Right. I mean, it's just cameras here, cameras everywhere. It's, it's nuts. Um, it, it, the, the, the Chinese are good at it too, and maybe produce their stuff more, more than the, the Russians, but the Russians, they're, they're, all, they're all good. And then you get reporters, especially on both sides, but the Russian reporters, these folks are out there hustling. Um, yeah, they're all semi-state controlled media and they're certainly state approved media, but, um, pretty darn good reporting. 
just in the sense of showing capabilities. This is a thing. This is what it does. This is the view from here. It's really well done. We keep putting out, the Pentagon keeps putting out these, I, I mean, Highway to the Danger Zone was a long time ago. And I mean, you know, if you, if you want to talk about, you know, hair bands and lost decades, and it's just, you know, put that behind you. And yet that kind of fuzz music is pretty much what we hear on all kinds of Pentagon products. Um, it bothers me just because uh, it, it bothers me. Why do we hear that, that, that freaking Highway to the Danger Zone music all the time, Chris? Why is that? Yeah, we... <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with one. I mean, we're we're just not good at influencing. Uh, we're not good at influence operations. I mean, that's not what we do, um, and that you know, there's lots of reasons for that. I, I think the the other practical reason is is the the type of music that we license um, is you, you know tends to fall in that particular genre, and you know we've made the assumption that uh, you know that's that's what motivates people. Um, I, I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, it, you know, Chris, if you remember, uh, I, I caught all sorts of flack when I worked at DOD right before I got out of the Navy, we put together a cartoon to try to explain what the, the military services do. And boy, did we get our butts kicked for it. You know, we, we wanted to, uh, to capitalize on, uh, the latest trend of, uh, you know, using cartoons as a teaching tool to, both young people and not so young people alike, and uh, the uh, the media wanted nothing to do with it. So I I don't see us I don't see them in the Pentagon doing influencing you, you know operations or influencing videos anytime soon. Well, all I can say is now oh. hear this now <laughs> hear this oh, got see, cut I'm, off. I'm being cut off. But no, note to Pentagon, update your music library. That's it. All right. So now hear this. It must be time for the Squawk Box, that weekly moment where somebody's got something on their mind. So this week, uh, I'd like to talk about last April, the U.S. Navy released a photo of a destroyer captain sitting back on his bridge wing, feet up on the rail, casually watching another ship about a mile and a half off. The rather laconic caption said he was monitoring service contacts and added no further information. But a look at the ship revealed it to be the Chinese aircraft carrier Leoning, clearly being closely shadowed by a U.S. Navy warship. It was an exceedingly rare glimpse of the cat and mouse watching you, watching me game played out virtually every day on the high seas between the U.S. and China. Such games are nothing new. They were a staple of Cold War operations with the Soviets. Today, the Russians and their potential adversaries be they NATO, the U.S., or other, routinely put out videos and images of their encounters, featuring not only one side watching the other, but one side being watched. But with China, it's another story. Just about any U.S. warship operating the South China Sea has a Chinese tail, a ship, submarine, or aircraft always nearby within view. Yet the U.S. only very occasionally depicts those Chinese shadows. And views of the U.S. shadowing the Chinese are rarer still. The release of that image of the destroyer Mustang's commanding officer casually monitoring the pride of the Chinese Navy prompted widespread positive responses of the glad to know we're on the job variety. It would be good to see more, more coverage of how the Chinese are attempting to insinuate their ownership of the South China Sea and other international waterways, and more about how the U.S. counters those moves. It's a tangible example 
of why navies are important and what navies do, and an accurate depiction to the taxpaying public of what's actually going on out there. The Navy and the Pentagon should be doing much more in putting out such solid visual information. All right. Well, that does it for the podcast. Um, Chris, great talking to you again. And as always, I'm going to say it this week, our thanks to Vago Moradian for his support. Now, where else Where else can we hear his, this podcast, Chris? This podcast is also available on iTunes and uh, Google Music. It's also available on most of the platforms like iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and others that you uh, get your music and can listen to other podcasts. So be sure to uh, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to Cavus Ships. If for some reason we're not on the, the podcast platform that, that you frequent, shoot us a note uh, and we'd be happy to make sure that we, uh, we get on that platform. Okay, and on a personal note, I'd just like to offer my congratulations to the Cervello family as my partner Chris's brother Jeffrey assumed command of the US destroyer Paul Ignatius, a uh, Mayport-based ship Congratulations to uh, Commander Jeffrey. Uh, it's an honor well-deserved and best wishes to him. So that's it. Thanks for, uh, for, for listening this week. Uh, remember, tune in next week and bye.